Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bridgewater Church. Uh, we are continuing on in our series on relationships. Last week, we talked about conflict, and if you missed that message for any reason and you want to find that, you can find that on the Bridgewater app. Today, we are talking about marriage. Now, I just want to encourage you, uh, even if you are not married, to not think, wait a minute, this message isn't for me, and to just kind of check out. Because I think we're going to be talking about some principles from God's word that can apply to all different kinds of relationships, whether you're married or not. But we're going to get super practical for those of you who are married. Now, if you had to take a guess, what would you say is the number one topic that most songs are written about? What do you think? Love? Love? Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Hundreds of thousands of songs have been written about love. And I think the reason why some of these, like, lighthearted, fluffy, romantic songs are so popular is because it paints a picture for the kind of relationship that so many of us want to have. Songs with lines that say things like, because all of me loves all of you. All right, I'm not going to sing any more of these, I promise. I know that singing is not my spiritual gift. Or another song that would be like, take my hand, take my whole life too, for I can't help falling in love with you. I'm pretty sure that's on just about every wedding playlist. It was for us. And uh, so songs like that, all right, they're pretty popular. But what I've been noticing lately is that trending on the top of music charts tends to be a lot more songs about falling out of love, about being hurt in relationships. Songs with lines that say things like, I can take myself dancing and I can hold my own hand. Yeah, I can love me better than you can. Or songs like, why does love always feel like a battlefield? And so you have like these lighthearted, romantic, sunshine and roses songs. And I think those are popular because it gives us that picture of the kind of relationship that we want to have. But then songs like this, they talk about hurt and pain. I think those songs are popular because they're relatable. Because so many people have experienced hurt in relationships. And unfortunately, like, love, real love is hard work. And sometimes the people that you love the most can also hurt you the deepest. And so the question that I want to start out with this morning, for those of you who are married, is does your marriage feel more like a battlefield or a garden? Like if your marriage feels like a garden, I'm talking about like a safe place where it's thriving and healthy and that's where you're loved and feel secure. Or does your marriage relationship feel more like a battlefield of hurt and pain? You're afraid like you come home, you could step on a landmine or spark a fight or anything like that. And either way you land, whether you would say that your marriage is more like a garden or more like a battlefield, my hope for all of us here in this room who are married is that we could all take one step further in cultivating uh, a growing, healthy marriage. And I think this is obtainable for anybody no matter where you're at. So we're going to start off in a book of the Bible called Song of Solomon or Song of Songs which is basically a way of saying the greatest song of all time. And so this would have been like trending on the top charts back in ancient Israel in the days that this was written. And this song or this book of the Bible is kind of like a duet between uh, a man and a woman, a super romantic, full of sappy lines, and it's like the man will say one thing, then it goes to the part of the woman. 
And so in Song of Songs, chapter 1, in verse 15, it starts out with the man, and he says, How beautiful you are, my darling, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. And then the woman has her part, and she says, You are so handsome, my love, pleasing beyond words. The soft grass is our bed, fragrant cedar branches are the beams of our house, and the pleasant-smelling firs are the rafters. All right, so first takeaway from this passage, man, if you want to sweep your woman off her feet, then you got to compare her eyes to doves. All right, maybe, maybe not. And if you don't really resonate with ancient Jewish love poetry, hey, I, I totally get it. And this book of the Bible is full of sappy lines like this, but what it does is it paints a picture for a kind of relationship that so many people would love to have, a relationship with uh, connectedness that's growing closer to each other. And so this kind of paints a picture of that and says, like, wouldn't you like to have a relationship like that too? Like, wouldn't it be great if 20 years down the road, you still look at your husband and your wife or and you think, they are so beautiful, they are so handsome. Or even further into marriage, you just become better and better friends, and you don't stop dating and having that connection with each other. Like, wouldn't it be so awesome if your marriage relationship looked more like a garden than like a battlefield? If some of you here this morning, you might be thinking, yeah, that would be great. But that's just wishful thinking. Like, there's no way I could have a relationship like that. And I think that's exactly what Satan, the enemy of God, wants you to believe. That something like that, that kind of relationship is unobtainable. That the place that you are now, like if you are in a place where you feel stuck or you feel like your best moments are behind you back when you were dating before you said, I do. Satan wants you to think that's as good as it's going to get. That there is no hope for things being better than just living like roommates or worse. But the truth is there is hope hope and it's and you can cultivate a healthier marriage not through some kind of silver bullet or quick fix or anything like that but on taking some simple steps we skip ahead to chapter 2 in verse 15 this is what it says catch all the foxes those little foxes before they ruin the vineyard of love for the grapevines are blossoming now you might read that and be like what on earth did we just read? Like grapevines, vineyards, and foxes? How do those things have any connection to each other? So just remember, this is poetry, and so there's a lot of imagery going on. And foxes and small rodents were known to be very destructive for vineyards because they would dig up the grapevines and then the plants would die. So just a little bit or a little animal can cause a lot of damage. And then they're using this picture of a vineyard to describe their relationship with each other. So they're basically saying these little foxes, these little things can cause a lot of damage in our relationship. And so we need to catch these foxes. We need to make sure that these foxes don't do any damage. And what do you think makes a bigger difference in your life, in your marriage? One big decision or a hundred little decisions? Probably a hundred little decisions because even the big decisions that you make are really the result of a bunch of little decisions or compromises that got you there. Like nobody wakes up one morning and thinks like, 
I'm going to wreck my marriage today. It's all of those little decisions that maybe lead to something blowing up or things falling apart. And so all that to say, the little things can make a big difference over time for good and cultivating a healthier relationship or for bad and letting these little things, these foxes, take root and destroy the most important relationship in your life. And so uh, the question, I think, before all of us is, what are those little things that can destroy your relationship? Like in this passage here, it doesn't identify the fox. There's not a verse that comes later and says, the fox, that little thing, is just unresolved anger or uncommunicated expectations or such and such a thing. Instead, it's left kind of open-ended so that you can ask the question, what are the little things that could destroy my relationship? And once we can identify what those little things might be, we can't just sit back and just watch it destroy the most important relationship in your life. You have to take some steps towards attacking those little things. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'm sure that as you answer that question for yourself, like what are those little things? We could all come up with different answers. And different marriages have different struggles. And we don't have time to cover all of the options for what that could be. But we're going to take time this morning just to talk about three things that I think can be pretty common in, in a lot of relationships. And if you're wondering what to do with this note sheet, um, it's not just a note sheet. This is more of something to take home with you after this morning's message and to just spark a conversation with your spouse. So don't worry about trying to fill in the answers this morning, but I do want to encourage you to keep the conversation going after this morning. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. So we're going to start things off by talking about one little thing to attack, and that is misplaced priorities. Now, we all know that not everything can be a priority. We only have 24 hours in a day. We have a limited energy. But at the same time, if we're being honest, there's probably some things in our life that should be a priority, but it's not. And there's no verse in the Bible that says, thus saith the Lord, this is what your priority should be in this order, and this is how much time and energy you should give to all of these things. We don't have a verse that says that. But I do believe that we have sort of a pattern laid out for us from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. So in verse 1 of chapter 1 in Genesis, the first few words of the Bible say, in the beginning, God. And in just these few words, there's so much significance packed into there. Because it gives us that reminder that God has existed for all of eternity in the past. God was around before anything else. And he spoke creation into existence. He created the universe, the stars in the sky, everything that we can see on this planet. He created human life. And everything that God created was to reflect his beauty and to glorify him. And so that's our purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the number one commandment in all the Bible is to love God. And so this is the first and foremost priority, um, the top relationship that all of us should have. And then after God created the earth and the animals and the first human named Adam, 
uh, God realized that there was something that was a little bit off. And that is the first human, Adam, didn't have a companion. And he couldn't find a companion in all of the animals. And God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so God created the woman. And boom, you have the first marriage. And that becomes the second most significant relationship between the husband and the wife. And then God gives them the command to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, which is basically saying, like, have kids and make this world a better place. And so here we kind of have this framework of priorities from your relationship with God to your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids, and then your relationship with work. And I put hobbies there because that's like unpaid work. Now, maybe you've heard the saying that balance is a myth. And I tend to agree. Like, it would be so nice if we could just kind of balance everything out in our life to the right percentage, where, like, we give 35% of our time and energy to God, 30% to our spouse, 20% to our kids, 15% to work and hobbies. But this just isn't how life works. And different seasons of life call for more time and energy into one area of our life or one relationship over the other. And I totally get that. But where we can go wrong is when we take a relationship or a priority um, that shouldn't be the center of our world, our top priority, and we move it to that place. Or we take a relationship or a priority that should be number one and we move it to the back burner. I think that's where we get into trouble. So to give you some examples of this, it's like when you make your kids the center of your world, the number one relationship in your life. And I know this might hit a little bit close to home for some of the mothers here in this room. And I get that because I'm living this out in my life. We have a six-month-old, and I see that my wife has a connection to our son like I just don't even have. Like she gave birth to him. She's nurturing. She's there with him like every single day. And if we're being real, kids demand a lot the, this baby needs to be fed, diapers changed, he needs to be played with, he, he needs to be entertained, and then it's like cleaning up around the house, all of his messes. And so my wife just gives and gives and gives to this child, and then by the time I come home from work, it feels like there's nothing left to give. And I'm not saying that my wife has her priorities out of whack, but what I am saying is that and we don't have this perfectly figured out in our life either. And this is something that we're working through. And you can try to justify and you can say, wow, this is just for a season. But then the next season is you have teenagers and you're driving them to sports and after school activities here, there, all across creation. And before you know it, that season of life lasts 18 plus years. And then it takes until your kids move out of the house before you realize that you've kind of functionally become roommates with your husband or your wife, and that you've been pouring so much into your kids that you've been neglecting cultivating that relationship. And that can be really difficult on a lot of couples. Let me give you another example, and that is when you make your work or your hobby the center place in your life. And I know that and this is something that I could definitely struggle with in my life too, and sometimes it happens where, like, you come home after a long day's work, and then your spouse is like, great, you're home. Now you can vacuum the floors. Now you can help with the kids. Now you can do this or that. 
And it's like, I just worked a long day and I come home and I have to do all these things. I'm not even good at doing those things. I don't even feel appreciated for what I did at work and I, I don't feel appreciated for what I'm doing at home. And then you start to think, wait a minute, but at my job, I'm good at my job. I feel appreciated for my contribution. And then you start to make the shift where you're kind of escaping home and retreating to your job as an escape where you find a sense of value and purpose. And you just kind of put your family or your, your husband or your wife on the back burner. And that doesn't help the marriage relationship. That doesn't lead towards cultivating a healthier relationship, like more like a garden that's letting your marriage drift into something more like a battlefield. And then for all of us, I think something that is so key is making sure that we give God his proper place in our lives, that he is the number one relationship. And sometimes I'll check in with people and ask, like, hey, how are you doing? And the most common response that I get is, I'm just so busy. And, and I don't want to downplay busyness. Like, the busyness is real. But I think what is so key is that we use proper terminology and just call things what they are. Like back when I was in high school, I got into weightlifting with some of my buddies, and we were keeping each other accountable. And one time my buddy asked me, like, hey, did you do your workout for this week? And I just said, no, I didn't get around to it. I was too busy. And my friend corrected me. He said, you weren't busy, too busy. You had 24 hours in a day. You just didn't make it a priority. And I was like, oh, man, my excuses don't work with him. <laughs> and I think the same thing is true with our relationship with God. We could say, yeah, I was just, I was too busy. And that busyness was real. But if you just really boil things down to the heart of the matter, you're really just making other things a higher priority than God. And so let's just call it what it is. Let's just say, yeah, that wasn't a priority today. That wasn't the center focus of my life. And so maybe you're wondering, all right, how are my priorities? Are things in line? Here's just a few questions to think through and to just um, get kind of an idea of where you might be at. When is the last time that you read the Bible and spent that time trying to connect with God? When is the last time that you prayed besides just like a routine saying grace before a meal? Or when's the last time that you found a babysitter in order to go on a date? Or when's the last time that you took time off of work in order to make a memory with your family? And I think these, uh, if we can answer these questions and then take a step towards uh, putting our priorities in the right place, I think that can make an incredible difference. All right, we'll move on to another thing that can be damaging to our relationships and that is suffocating busyness. And we've kind of talked about this a little bit already. I think that more and more Americans would say that their lives are just so busy. H&R Block did a study and found that Americans are leaving more and more things unaccomplished on their to-do list. And so to give you some examples of those things, things like cleaning the house or household maintenance, laundry, shopping, going to the gym, things that would normally be a priority for somebody. It's just like life is busy. I just, I can't get to it. And to be honest with you, like I'm reading this and this is describing my life. There's just the pace of life is a lot to keep up with. 
But if, if so many people don't get around to these things, it just gets me thinking, like, how many people prioritize a date with their spouse and having that time to connect? And there's not a verse in the Bible that says you should go on a date with your spouse X number of times every month or every week or whatever that number is. But I do think that this is a big deal, and I do think that this is important because Satan, the enemy of God, wants to tear marriages apart. Because marriage isn't just about companionship and having that person in your life, but marriage is a visible reflection of Jesus' relationship with the church. And so Satan doesn't want your marriage to point to God. Satan wants to rip it down, and maybe his plan is to get you to make a big sin. But maybe Satan's strategy is to just suffocate your marriage through busyness. And the Bible says that when couples don't prioritize intimacy with each other, that just opens the door for temptation. It just gives Satan the opportunity to gain a foothold. And so I do think that this is a big deal. And I think the other thing that might be important is to talk with your spouse about what quality time really looks like for them. I've discovered this in my marriage, that I have a much different idea of quality time than my wife. Like, we could be driving in the car together, and that checks the box for me. That is quality time. If we're just under the same roof, that's quality time. And so all week, I'm like, yeah, we are doing great. And then my wife will come to me and say, we haven't spent any quality time together. And I'm like, what? What about when we did chores? What about feeding the baby, driving in the car? And so when I finally clarified with her what her idea of quality time was, that was like groundbreaking for us. Because for her, quality time is leaving the house, going to a certain environment without a kid, and then talking about family, values, the future. Like the, the conversation has to fit certain categories. And so it, as we talk about this, this isn't just about like go on a date just so you can check that off your to-do list. But it's about taking steps towards cultivating a deeper relationship with your spouse. All right, we'll move on to the third thing that can be destructive for relationships, and that is coasting. And there's really no such thing as just coasting through marriage. You're either gaining ground in pursuing a deeper, more connected relationship or slowly drifting apart. And slowly drifting apart is, is not for lack of good intentions. Like if I was to ask most of you here in this room, like, what are your deepest desires for your marriage relationship? You might say things like, oh, we just, we want to make God the center of our relationship. We want to have an example for our kids. We want to be more connected now than we've ever been before. We want to keep dating each other all throughout our marriage. Like the list could go on and on of like your deep desires for your relationship. But the problem is that oftentimes our deepest desires can be sabotaged by our strongest desires. So to give you an example of that, like one of my deep desires for my relationship with Gabby is to love her like Jesus loves the church, to love her with a sacrificial love. But then there's times when I'm taking care of the baby and I realize that he makes a mess in his diaper, and I have this thought that pops into my mind, like, 
if I just pretend like I don't notice that he has a dirty diaper, and maybe Gabby will pick him up and she'll notice, and then she'll be the one to change it. I'm like, that's not loving my wife with a sacrificial love. Like my deepest desire for cultivating that selfless relationship is being sabotaged by my strongest desires, that desires like laziness, selfishness, just making myself comfortable in the moment. And I'm sure this plays out in so many other aspects in our relationships where you want to have that close relationship, but your strongest desire in the moment is to avoid conflict or to avoid making things right or just whatever feels good in the moment, the easy path, sometimes we take it. And our strongest desires can be for good things or for bad things. But what if, what if our strongest desires were to follow the example of Jesus? And I really think that if our strong desire was to follow the example of Jesus, then we would have a much better shot at cultivating a marriage that is close and growing and is more in line with our deepest desires. And so as we kind of wrap things up, we're going to skip ahead to Ephesians chapter 4. This is the end of the chapter in verse 32. And it just talks about the example of Jesus. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And so here we read, Jesus is the ultimate example of living in a tender-hearted way, showing kindness, loving others, forgiving them. And this verse isn't necessarily about marriage, but this applies to our relationships, all of our relationships. And what if we were following the example of Jesus and just having his tender-hearted approach to people, where we, we put the needs or desires of our spouse ahead of our own? And what if, instead of taking the faults of your spouse and like keeping them in your back pocket as ammunition for the next time you get in a fight, what if you just forgave your spouse? The way that God has forgiven you, where they're just, you're not keeping a record of that anymore. Or what if you woke up every morning and the thought on your mind was, how can I love my husband or my wife the way that Jesus loves the church? And I think that when we follow the example of Jesus, like there is no better step that we can take towards catching the foxes or putting an end to those little things that can destroy our relationships. And every time we follow the example of Jesus, we are gaining ground and cultivating a relationship that is honoring to God and growing in closeness. Because so, remember, there is no such thing as just coasting. And our lives are not so much determined by just one or two big decisions. But the course of our lives is determined by the thousands of little decisions that we make on a regular basis. And those little decisions will take us in a direction for good or for bad. And so I just want to encourage you to, to be intentional just with the little things because they make a big difference over time. 
as far as application goes, I want to encourage you to take advantage of this handout. Um, this is really just a conversation starter with your spouse. We didn't cover everything that we could cover this morning, um, but this, I think, can get to the heart of some things that can be really helpful for taking some steps forward. Instead of finger-pointing or being like, hey, this is what you should do, come to some next steps together and agree to work on those things in your life. And then some helpful resources. There's this book called The Marriage Journal. This is something that somebody gave me and my wife uh, when we got married. And it's just a one-page devotional and then a bunch of questions, the same questions every single week in a calendar. And the content of this book isn't like groundbreaking, revolutionary, or anything like that. But it has been so good at just sparking conversation, talking about the things that qualify as quality time with my wife, things like values and family and future and all of those kind of things. And we're almost through our copy of this book and we're talking about just getting another one and just keep going through this every year. Um, and if you want to find that, that's the link for it. And we also have a resource page. And so this can give you resources not just on marriage, but on all kinds of relationships. You could scan the QR code and get access to some of those resources. Or you could go to the Bridgewater page. So with all of that being said, let me pray and we'll wrap things up. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us the example of sacrificial love. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And God, the only reason that we can love is because you loved us first. And so help us to, um, to know your love, to reflect your love to others. And to, to work hard at cultivating marriage relationships that stand out in this world. God, we know that we have an enemy who wants to tear marriages apart. I ask that he would not see victory in this area. I ask that we would overcome through your power and your strength. So please bring to our attention anything that we need to work on, anything that's been sneaking through. And I ask that, that you would just have your hand of grace upon all of the marriages here in this room, um, whether things are better than they've ever been before or maybe feel darker and more painful than things have ever been before. God, you are walking with us. You are always there for us. And I ask that um, for those who are struggling, that you would be their refuge and their strength. And I thank you that you are a God who heals the broken and gives hope to the hopeless. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.